0: So I wanted to share with you today on a topic I'm calling Walk the Talk. Remember, this is the series called Focused. Paul was about to die. He was focusing Timothy on the things that really mattered. A dying man is handing off. And so what he says is valuable. And he talked about example and, and being a good example in this passage. And I like what Thomas Carlyle said. He said, one example is worth a thousand arguments. So our lives will speak louder than our words. Here's a few things that he shared with Timothy. And remember, a a good interpretation rule of Scripture is it may not have been written to you, but it's written for you. So Paul's talking to Timothy, but they're all Scripture principles that bless our life. And, And here's one of the things he emphasized. As a matter of fact, for 20 or 30 verses, he's saying, mixing this in, don't quarrel. Don't argue. I like the way it reads in the Living Bible. Remember your people of Uh, rather, remind your people of these great facts and command them in the name of the Lord not to argue over unimportant things. Another version says quarrel. Such arguments are confusing and useless and even harmful. Now, I I, want to take this a certain way because certainly arguing and quarreling uh, is, is not healthy in any context, but the context that this is written in seems to be talking about doctrinal things. So he mentions Hymenius and and another in there that that are people that uh, are are arguing in public over little things that don't matter and they're hurting uh, this whole walk with Jesus thing. And uh, so as you look at this, another version says, uh, remind them not to argue uh, or quarrel over things that have no value because it ruins the lives of others. So let's, let's talk about no value for a moment, and, and then we'll talk about the, the context of, of things that are actually wrong, but uh, there are preachers and teachers in the church, and I mean that with the big C now, the church universal, who become enamored with their ability to impress themselves and others when they speak. And if they're not careful, they'll get up and communicate in such a way that people will be impressed with them rather than follow the truth of the word. Um, God doesn't share His glory with anyone. And so quite often they'll just do little spin-offs into high knowledge and peripheral stuff that really isn't core and doesn't matter that much but part of the purpose would be they share these unimportant things, they major in the minor so that people will notice how smart they are. I remember uh, George Barna did a survey and his survey Uh, revealed the way to communicate, the level at which to communicate that's the most effective for the church in America. He said the average level is to communicate at the first or second year of college with your communication, that, that that would be the level that you would hit straight ahead with. That sounded good to me. It sounded like that would be healthy and a happy medium. He said the problem is the most effective churches in America communicate at the seventh grade level. They make it so simple that everyone can understand it without all these profundities around it. And um, let me me give you a little interpretation uh, rule for Scripture. The surface meaning of the Bible is almost always what it actually means. And if we're not careful, preachers and teachers can communicate in such a way that we make you think you can't really interpret this unless you hear one of us interpret it for you. That, my friends is a sin to make people think that you 're a big deal and that the word of god can 't be handled by others it 's written in a very simple fashion it 's pretty easy to understand now there are things that you can fly in culturally that help uh, and and then there are just a bunch of things that just waste time and aren 't really helping people grow and and we need to be careful that we don 't make people think that they can 't get in this for themselves because when you get in for yourself, the Lord will bring it alive to bless, to bless your life. So there are those who overemphasize certain things and they, they get argumentative. Have you ever been in a setting, a Sunday school class, a, a setting uh, where other believers are, maybe even unbelievers, where people start to squabble about doctrinal belief? Oh, it's yucky, it's yucky. And the people that are listening can, can get hurt verse 16 of that same chapter says, steer clear of foolish discussions that lead people into the sin of anger with each other. When you move to arguing around the word or anywhere, it leads to these things. Hurt feelings, broken relationships, and trouble. And God said to his servant through Paul, don't quarrel. Don't be an argumentative person. We'll talk more about that next week but here's, here's one of the areas that they were quarreling one of the examples that I just grabbed from the scripture one was saying I'm of Paul another was saying I'm of Apollos another saying I'm of Cephas when all these men were following Jesus essentially saying well I like his ministry and the way he does it better than their ministry and the way they do it that's just really dumb because God is in all those people doing a number of good works in a number of different ways think of it this way for a moment who do you like better Donnie Moore or Dick Foth Well, that's a dumb question because the Lord is using both of them in an incredible fashion. One in a more relational, intellectual sense, and I mean that in the healthiest way with Dick Foth, and then Donnie in a a power and a spirit sense, but both are doing great work for the Lord. As a matter of fact, the reason we've brought those guys, rather, for the last 17 years that I've been here, you notice they're here about once a year, sometimes twice a year, one of them. Uh, But the reason we bring them is we want you to know that you can be completely who you are and the Lord can use you incredibly. They're completely different. And you're completely different than either one of those people. I do feel it reveals something. The people you like, you, you pick your top three speakers or top three people that have blessed your life, let's say as pastors, ministers, usually they reveal something of who you are. For me, you know, Dick and Donnie would be two people that I highly revere, but another friend would be Rick Inlow, and he's a, he's a comedian. And he's a guy that I look up to and bless, and, 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 and he's a Christian comedian, but he's a minister as well. And those three people are kind of a, I'm, I'm just kind of a mixture maybe, and, 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 and I think that you'll find yourself liking people that speak to something in you. That's cool, but don't act like one's better than another. It's just not healthy. It's not healthy for people to hear, it can hurt feelings, and that's one of the things that were mentioned. I remember years ago, as District Youth Director for the Assemblies of God, I was speaking at Northwest College, now Northwest University, uh, in Kirkland, Washington, near Seattle. And um, I led a prayer meeting in the morning with a number of college students. That's a great school, by the way, Northwest University in Kirkland. Um, and the Lord, Lord's using them incredibly. So I, I was... There to lead the prayer meeting, and a young fellow, he must have been 18 to 20, came up to me after the prayer meeting was over and said to me, Have you ever led a prayer meeting before? Which made me feel really confident right off the bat. And I was probably 27, and I said, Yeah, yeah, I've led a prayer meeting. And then he said to me, Have you ever heard Rich Wilkerson lead a prayer meeting? Well, Rich is a youth evangelist who's a great speaker and a powerful man of God. I mean, I love Rich. But, I, but, but, but he just liked it a certain way, you know, this fella. And he just felt like it just wasn't happening right if it, if it didn't happen the way Rich did it because he liked Rich. And I said to him, uh, you know, Rich is a short guy with a mustache and I really like him, but my name is Stan. And you know, you need to be who you are and not be intimidated into falsifying something to try to be like someone else. And when people are who they are and the Holy Spirit works through them, it is the most powerful thing. There's no copy that's ever as good as the original. This just, just can't happen. And so God wants to use originals. And, and these kind of arguments would be vain and, and, and silly. How about here's another thing that people argue about or, or get high-centered on. Do you like topical or exposition preaching? Topical would be a series around family. Exposition would mean you're going through the word like we're doing now. This is an expositional. Exegetical means you, you take word by word as you go through it. And there'll be people who get high-centered on the, on the one they like the most. It's okay to have a preference. But did you know the Bible doesn't advocate for any of those? Essentially, it advocates for all of them as, 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 you, as you look. So why would we try to make another church feel bad who did something different? Why would we try to make a person, why would we say something that could get back to someone that could, that could be silly and hurt feelings? Did you know Jesus, for instance, people say, well, I like going line upon line, word upon word, and I think that's the best way, and I think it's been proven. Did you know Jesus never did that? He never did. He took a few scriptures, flew in a few stories, and that's how he did it. He sat on a stump and, and said whatever needed to be said around a fire. And, and so, so, now that's doesn't mean it's wrong to do it this other way. It's great to do it all three ways. We can be blessed incredibly. But why would we make a big deal about these things when the Bible doesn't, the Bible says to honor the word of God, to teach the word of God. And if that's happening in a church by people from a pastor or a teacher, it's great. In whatever fashion it's happened, you can share the scriptures and share truth. And yet people will just make big deals about little things like this. Proverbs 18.6 says, fools get into constant quarrels. If you're around someone who always ends up in an argument, a fight about... The word, a truth a, about other things. The Bible says they're fools, and they're asking for a beating. How many ever wanted to beat those fools? No, I don't raise your hand on, on that. But let's don't be let's don't be that way. The, the, you know, next week I'll talk more about gentleness and kindness, and and the truths that are that are coming up in a, in a sermon here that kind of set the pace for what God God wants here. He wants us to love one another, encourage one another. Why in the world would I not encourage a brother who preaches different than me, but presents the word and lets the spirit move? It'd be silly. And let's not, let's not get that narrow if truth is being shared in whatever, whatever the, the manner or style. Proverbs 20, verse 3 says, avoiding a fight is a mark of honor. Isn't that just a tasty morsel from the scriptures right there? I like that. Avoiding a fight is a mark of honor. Only fools insist on quarreling. So let's be very, very careful uh, not to major in minors, make a big deal, and then fight about things that that are just personal preference. It's okay to have a personal preference. Now, there are some core essentials that we need to fight for. Jesus is the only way. The word of God is truth. But so much is is peripheral that people are making a big deal about, and it hurts the body of Christ. And, and, And he was saying to Timothy, don't get caught up in that. Don't let those people sweep you into that stuff. Secondly, he said to Timothy, do good work for God. We have a trainer here that's really good at what he does as he, as he does sports-specific training for the athletes here at, the, at Horizon Christian High School. And uh, he has a theme that I'll just see on Facebook every now and then. Uh, it says, uh, do work. And somehow that's just a short philosophy with those kids. And, and the point is, you have to put the time in, you have to discipline yourself if you're gonna get a good result. You have to train. And, and I, I'm changing that a little bit because I see... Paul talking to Timothy, the word of God speaking to us. Remember, it's not written to us, but for us. I'm changing a little bit from do work to do good work for God. Here's what it says. Work hard, verse 15, so God can say to you, well done. It's interesting that there's the thought that you're going to present your life's work before the Lord someday. Well done. Be a good workman, one who does not need to be ashamed when God examines your work. The thought here is there is a body of work in your life that should be presented to Jesus as a present someday. He's given you all these gifts. He gives you his spirit to accomplish it. And what you give back to him is your gift to him. But think of it this way. Part of my job is not only to get you into this word, you know, you hear me emphasizing that, but to get you to understand that you will present your life's work to Jesus someday. What are you gonna give him? I just think that's a good question. I don't know what you're giving them, and I'm assuming most of you are going to give them something good. But what are you doing in your life that is for eternity and not for yourself? John Wooden said you haven't had a perfect day unless you've helped someone. And and as we as we look at these things, we need to examine our lives and say, Am I doing something? with my life's work that can be presented to the Lord someday where I won't have to be ashamed when he examines it. I mean, if we're not careful, we'll just get involved in what 1 Corinthians calls wood, hay, and stubble. That's pursuits in this world that all be burned up and don't matter for eternity. That's cars, houses, positions, titles. They don't matter for eternity. But the way that you proceed in your life with your example does matter. The work that you do for God does matter, and it's eternal. What are we gonna present to him? This is the same passage in the King James Version that says study to show yourself approved. It's a pretty weak translation to say study. Study could be a portion of what that means, but in the Greek uh, that where it says, and I think the Living Bible has it closer, work hard so, you, so he'll say to you well done. In the Greek where it says study, in the King James it means to be diligent and zealous in your labors. And that can include, it's not wrong to say study of the word, study to show yourself approved, but it's more than that. It's, it's just too narrow. It's your body of work presented to Jesus at the end of your life. Are you focused towards those things? In the end, the goal for the Christian teacher, the Christian believer is to be able to submit your life for God's approval without having to blush. Example and behavior matter. Works matter. We're not saved by our works, but when we get saved and the Lord is in us, we're compelled to do good works because His love moves us. Andrew Murray said, God has no more precious gift to a church or an age than a man who lives an embodiment of His will and inspires those around Him with the faith of what grace can do. 2 Corinthians 6, we try to live in such a way that no one will be hindered from finding the Lord by the way we act. And so no one can find fault with our ministry. Live our lives in such a way that people can't find fault. You say, well, I'm not perfect. Well, I know that, and neither am I. And yet the Bible tells us to strive for perfection. The Bible tells us to do good deeds so that our God in heaven, our Father, will be glorified as people see his love in us. And so we focus on these things. And some may say, well, I'm I'm not a minister like some of these guys. Like you look at Pastor John and, you know, he's a pastor and I I appreciate what he's done. But how do I do that? Look, you don't have to do what he did. You don't have to do what he's going to do. What you have to do is be who you are, grow in the Lord and love people around you and follow when God speaks. Karen's dad has uh, served faithfully as a secretary treasurer for a substantial church in Dallas, Oregon for over 30 years. I heard at his 50th uh, wedding anniversary, a doctor get up and say that, that he, this was the greatest Christian example of a man that he's ever seen in his life. Al doesn't get up and speak. Al doesn't go into a class and teach. He lives his life loving people, reaching to people, has some words that he adds to it. They're not many words, but they're powerful when he speaks because of his life. And he works with his hands just to bless people, build things, do things for the church, do things for other people, do things for his neighbors. And there is a legacy there. What is our legacy? What are we gonna present to Jesus? What are we gonna leave to others? Are we doing good work for God? I heard a story about a pastor named James Ryle who shared at Promise Keepers with thousands and he he shared this story of his life. When he was two years old, his father was sent to prison. When he was seven, authorities placed him in an orphanage. At 19, he had a car wreck that killed his friend. He sold drugs later to raise money to pay for his legal fees. They caught him, and he was arrested, charged with a felony, and sent to prison. So now he finds himself with the same fate that his father started with as his legacy, prison. Dad did it, now son's there. While in prison, James accepted Christ, and after he served his time, he eventually went into the ministry. And years later, he sought his father out to reconcile to him. When they got together, the conversation turned to prison life. They both knew a little bit about it. James' father asked, what prison were you in? And James told him, and his father was taken back. He said, I helped build that prison. He had been a a welder who went from place to place building penitentiaries. And James concluded his sermon by saying, I was in the prison that my father had built. Not only was it physically true or, or, or metaphorically true, but... Physically true. What is our legacy? Is is it a legacy of love and good works or is is it going to be a legacy that those around us, that our family, our friends, our coworkers, those in the church, see an example that drags them down instead of builds them up and blesses them? I think it's important to think of these things. A person's example builds a legacy for other people to follow. Good question for me, for you is, is my legacy a good one or a bad one? 1 Timothy 4.12, be an example to all believers in what you teach. Now, it's spoken to the minister, but it's true for us. Be an example in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. So we pray that God would help us. And it says... That we want to present our, uh, our good works to the Lord in such a way that we don't have to be ashamed when he examines it. There's a scripture that says that God will say someday on a day of judgment to his own, well done my good and faithful servant, enter in. Today what you've seen with Pastor John as he stood up here is that he's been faithful among us. Longer than 16 years he's been faithful but 16 years in ministry as a, as a pastor leader here. And in a sense we're saying to Pastor John, well done. Well done. Faithful, loyal, good work for the Lord. But I guarantee you that Pastor John, although he probably enjoyed that, he should have, he'd much rather hear someday from the Lord, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now I was sitting there thinking of this this morning and I thought of Mama Lavasa, who's here with Pastor Roger today. And I thought of another woman who's been incredibly faithful to God. This woman had six children but she took in seven others along the way. And they populate the Northwest. Loving Jesus, making an impact. And that is a legacy that lives on. She, she, her husband went before her. Man of God, who was a preacher. She's been alone for a season, but she keeps loving, keeps blessing. And Mama Lavasa, I want you to stand up for a second. You guys don't know her very well, but we're gonna thank the Lord for Mama Lavasa today. Would you do that? That's the kind of thing we want to hear from the Lord someday. Well done. Oh, we'd like to hear it from our peers and, 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 and that's nice and, and it's encouraging. But, but really the big test is when we stand before the Lord and God help us to be focused on these things. Well, the next thing that he says here is, uh, and, and I'm just going to call it, handle the word of God correctly. Handle God's word correctly. 2 Timothy 2.15 in the Living Bible says, know what his word says and means. Now, let me tell you something about preachers that you may not know. Every one of us has our main emphasis. As a matter of fact, there'll be something that is emphasized a little bigger in every individual's lives than someone else because God will just highlight something. That's why you can't get caught up in the teaching of just one person. And though I want you to, I hope you, you are blessed by the teaching here, I want you to know that it's impossible for one man or one lady to get it exactly 100% right theologically throughout the scriptures. Core essentials are valuable, but along the way, there are just going to be a few things that we don't get right because, after all, we're not God. We're trying. I'm doing my best. I think you're pretty safe with what I'm trying to teach you, and I, I'm working real hard to get it right. But if you listen to just men, you're going to only understand their interpretation of what the Word says. Now, here's what he said to him. Know what it says and what it means. Rightly divide. I think that can be for all of us. And here's here's how you know. You get in it and you read it for yourself. And you can see certain things that are emphasized over and over again that start to build a pattern. You can feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And yes, Preachers and teachers can bless you and are meant to do such with the gifting of God. But, but it should never, ever take the place That's of this word. And that's why we want you to, to, to be in the word reading on a regular basis. You don't want to eat just once a week. It won't, you, it won't make you healthy. I mean, if you listen to, to Kenneth Copeland and Kenneth Hagin, they have an emphasis that you're going to get focused on with just their emphasis. And I can tell you what it is, but if you've listened, you know and perhaps there are men of God doing great work. But you're gonna be lopsided if you just listen to that and you're not in the word for yourself. I said that about myself. I can say that about any preacher. We need to be in the word ourselves to have the balance that God would want us to understand. Do you know what the word says and what it means? All of us might need a little help understanding and get a little insight from all of our brothers and sisters. Don't misunderstand me. But the best way to discover what God wants for you is to get in that word for yourself. And those journals, they have a Bible reading plan that we have, Horizon Journals, they have five, 15, and about a 30-minute reading, then some journaling about what the Lord's saying to you in the scripture, because God speaks to you when you read. And we want you to write down those thoughts. They'll be memorable, they'll change your life. I am telling you that this is precious to me. I love the word of God. I, I, it, is, it is not my favorite thing to preach on it because there's so much on the line. I do it with fear and trembling, although I'm called to do it and, and, and blessed to do it. My favorite thing to do with the word of God is to read it for myself because this word, the spirit of God has taken it and quickened to my heart and, and, and blessed me in so many ways, kept me off the wrong path, corrected me, felt the spirit of God just bless me and encourage me This is life blood for me. And it's supposed to be for every one of us that way. And we just can't can't let it be where we're spoon fed by someone else every now and then. We have to let the word of God speak to us and we have to know what it says means and the only way we can do that is if we're in the word on a regular basis. It says in the New Living Translation, correctly handle the word of truth. And here's what Paul was saying to Timothy. You must be scrupulously, scrupulously straightforward in dealing with the truth of God's word. He was saying, look, it's pretty simple what it says. I don't want you to deviate even if it makes you unpopular. Share it in love, but share the truth. 2 Timothy 4.2 says this. Preach the word of God. Be persistent. Whether the time is favorable or not. Now this is the same book in a different Chapter. But look what it says, patiently correct and rebuke. Now that's written to a, a pastor leader in the church. And I, I just want to emphasize, for the good of the church and for the good of the flock, God uses leaders to, to correct and rebuke. Every now and then, I need to correct and rebuke. Now God always wants me to do it in love and in fear and trembling because, the, the, believe me, I don't, I don't address those things uh, without, without caution. Uh, partly because I, I always try to remind myself if this is necessary, that this is God's precious child before I move into doing any of this. But it's necessary at times. Why? Because there are things that will hurt the church if, if they go unaddressed. That are, If they're allowed to prevail, will bring damage, division. I remember, this was not in my notes, but I told it first service, so I'm gonna tell it again. Um, when I first came here, the first year I was here, um, a little over 16 years ago, there was some criticism that was circulating about a certain thing in the church. And um, I knew a few people were unhappy, and, and, and honestly, in retrospect, these things are easier to tell, but they were wrong. And I had addressed it a little bit, but uh, I just thought, you know, if I love them, these people will turn and it'll all be all right. And It's not that big a deal. And I had a couple people say, hey, you know, maybe you should address this. And I thought, no, it's all right. You know, I, th- I think they'll come around. One night I had a dream. And in the dream, I was holding something that looked like a big old worm. And I was holding it both hands. And I thought, well, that's the biggest worm I've ever seen. And then as I looked at it in this dream, all of a sudden, color came and a pattern came. And I thought, that's a snake. And when I looked at the head over here, a snake went (sighs) like that. And I woke up in a cold sweat. And the Lord spoke to my heart after I was awake and said, That problem that you're saying is not a big deal is a big deal. You're calling it a worm when it is a snake, and I want you to deal with it. So the next morning, I made a few phone calls and I brought some people into my office. And with love, I encouraged them to stop it. And they did. And the church was protected. Now, that's part of what God calls his servants to do and, and, and if we don't do it, listen, I know the next word is encourage people. Encourage your people with good teaching for a time is coming. So there should be love and there should be encouragement but it's, the church will be wounded and damaged not just here everywhere. You have to allow and understand wouldn't God use a parent to discipline children? Won't he use leadership in the church to make sure everything's unified and going the right direction? It's necessary at times. And then it goes on to say for a time is coming He's talking to Timothy, saying, be a straight shooter when it comes to these things, when it comes to the word of God. A time is coming when people will no longer listen to right teaching. So he's telling them, hey, be ready for that, but don't stop giving it still yet. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever they want to hear, they will reject the truth and follow strange myths. So I thought about this and I thought, what is an example where that's happening today, in the Church of Jesus Christ in America where something's going astray and the ministers of God in many cases are afraid to shoot straight about it. So I picked, I picked uh, something I wanna talk to you about from the scriptures as an example here of, of straight shooting, homosexuality. We live in a day where people are starting to believe because some church leadership is leading them there that it's okay to be a homosexual, that you can live that lifestyle and still be a Christian. Let's look and see what the Word says. I want to remind you that these things have been in the Word all of our lives and way before, and yet they never seem to be shared in so many churches among Christian leaders. Why? Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 29, 29, 18, and here's why it needs to be shared about. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. If the Word of God and the truth of God is not revealed in boundaries then people will cast off restraint and then we're accountable because we knew and we didn't tell them. But blessed, it says, is the one who keeps the law. So let's look and see what the word of God says concerning these things. Let me remind you that these these are both New Testament scriptures. Let me remind you that none of this should be shared without love. But here it is, Romans 1, 24. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desire. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things of God, uh, the the things rather God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise, amen. Now here it is. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relationships with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Now, why isn't that being shared in America? Are are we too afraid? Listen, God said to Timothy, I want you to shoot straight. Tell the truth because there's a lot on the line for people. And here's what the Bible says about homosexuality in that passage. I'm I'm gonna give you direct quotes from the Bible, direct words that were in that passage, that it's vile, degrading, shameful, unnatural, and there'll be a penalty. That's what we just read. And yet we're too afraid to share it these days. You say, how is it unnatural? Well, I just will tell you the plumbing doesn't work. It's pretty easy to see when you look at it from from the surface level. And God says, Share the truth of the word. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says this, it goes on. Unless we single out any one sin, understand that there's many sins that are listed here. And, And here's the issue with this. It's not so much a stumbling and falling because people make mistakes. But it is, write these words down. It is the willful, continual, and deliberate that will bring destruction in your life when it comes to sin. If you do it willfully, continually, and deliberately, then you have a problem. Either you're never saved or you're not in the kingdom of God. And this is what this reveals with not only the sin of homosexuality, this next passage, but the, but, but the lifestyle of sin in other realms as well. Here's what it says. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or, or, or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to catch this, because here's where the church is going awry, making people believe that they can practice the lifestyle and still be saved and have heaven as their home. It says, please notice, it's a good interpretation here, some of you were once like that. Not are like that, once like that. I don't like the Al-Anon, I'll just tell you, uh, principle. There's a lot of things I like about Alcoholics Anonymous, a lot of things. But one thing I don't like is when they tell you you're an alcoholic for the rest of your life. You're an alcoholic. No, you're not. Because the Bible says that you are forgiven. The Bible says that's what you once were. And now, he who the Son has set free is free indeed. That's what you once were. That's not what you are. Now, understand that uh, every one of us has a place of temptation that's the greatest place for us. For some it might be money, for some it's homosexuality. For others, it's pornography. It, it could be a number of things. It's true that you may have a propensity to sin in any certain area, but it's also true that God is expecting you to resist and stay away from those things as a lifestyle. The reason He expects you to is because if you look to him for His grace, He'll forgive you, and that's the beauty of this. You can be forgiven for these lifestyles of sin, but he'll enable you by his grace. Titus 2, 11, the grace of God that leads to salvation teaches us to say no to all forms of ungodliness. You're not alone. It is expected that you will not live there. And God's word says that those who, who live in those places as lifestyles will not inherit the kingdom of God. Where are we hearing that today in the church? Now I'll say this, God despises the the, the thought that anyone would hold up a sign and say God hates fags. God loves all people and is trying to draw all of them to himself. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're not staring down our nose acting like we're a big deal. We're just beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. We've been forgiven. So yes, we should reach to them with love. Now listen, I have a sister that's a lesbian. I love her. Do you think I want her to be destroyed? She's had a partner for nearly 20 years. They've adopted children. They teach in a Sunday school at church. And they're encouraged in the lifestyle. And I'm going to tell you something. My sister's lost if she doesn't change her way. And I'm praying that God would use me, that God would send others. And I want to reach with love. But there are those who would say that love is letting people do whatever they want. Really? Do you willingly let your child walk off a cliff when you know it's dangerous? Or do you speak up and throw yourself in front of them and do everything you can to prevent them from being harmed? That's love. Risking yourself in the eyes of someone you love, knowing that they may put you down because you're concerned about their eternal soul in that dwelling place. Acts 20, verse 25. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. This is Paul and he says this, let me say plainly, and that's what he was telling Timothy, say it plainly, say the truth plainly, that I have been faithful. And listen to this, if, if you're a teacher or a preacher of the word of God and you hear this, as you deal with these lifestyles and these, these things that we're talking about today, would you please take this into account? Because I don't think the greatest love is to ignore a truth that will bring destruction for someone's soul. Paul said, no one's damnation can be blamed on me. When I share this word, I share because I want to stand before the Lord and let him, with a heart that says, I I did my best to tell the truth and I loved people. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. For then you'll win favor with God and a good name with man. That's what it says in Proverbs 3. No one's damnation can be blamed on me. For I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants for you. I will say to you today, I don't say this much, but I'm concerned about things going on in America right now. I will say to you that what some are saying in the name of love is really a lack of courage. I'm not going to confront with the truth because I want to be loving is really a lack of courage because you're going to pay a price if you share the truth. And Paul said to Timothy about this and all realms of the Bible truth, don't give way to the pressure. Share the truth with love. God's preachers and teachers must tell the truth to others because eternity is on the line. I'll end with this story about two brothers. They had terrorized a small town for decades. They were unfaithful to their wives, abusive to their children, and dishonest in business. Then the younger brother died unexpectedly. The surviving brother went to the pastor of a local church and said, I want you to conduct my brother's funeral, but it's important to me that during the service, somewhere you say that he was a saint. The pastor was thoughtful for for a moment, and then he said courageously, but he was far from that. To which... The wealthy brother pulled out a checkbook and said, Reverend, I'm prepared to give your church a million dollars if you'll just say during that service that my brother was a saint. On the day of the funeral, the pastor began his eulogy this way. Everyone here knows that the deceased was a wicked man, a womanizer and a drunk. He terrorized his employees and cheated on his taxes and then he paused and said, but as evil as he was compared to his brother, he was a saint. He didn't bow to the pressure. <laughs> preachers, preachers shouldn't bow. Yes, they should love. Yes, they should build a relationship. Yes, they should walk with people. But one of one of my sister's big problems is there are people in a so-called church telling her she's okay when she's not. There's a lot of good things about my sister. She's generous. She's giving. She cares about people. That is not why you're saved, because you're good. In some ways, you're saved because you you, you ask Jesus to cover the sin of your life and you start to follow him as your savior. And then what he says is important to you. Galatians 1.10, obviously, I'm not trying to be a people pleaser. Boy, Pastor Stan's not trying to be a people pleaser today, is he? No, I'm trying to please God. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be Christ's servant.